This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenal. On today's show, we are finishing, we're st- sorry, we are starting our look onto this year's Best Picture candidates for this year's Oscars. Uh, we've been doing this since the very first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we look at three to four of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. It's pretty simple. We label each nomination for a movie as either a front runner, a dark horse, a long shot, or just happy to be there. Uh, today marks the first episode in our series, with two more coming on coming later on. Joining me today is Jeff Ballmer and Pierre Frigon from Classic Movies Live. Both of their most recent appearances on ContraZoom have been when we interviewed the guys for our Better Noah Contributor series, where I talked to Jeff back in June, and then Rachel talked to Pierre in October. So, Jeff and Pierre, thank you for coming back. How are you both doing today? I'm doing pretty good, but if I can just cut off Pierre before he gets the chance to talk, uh, you know what was really funny about those episodes? In that first episode where I talked to you, uh, I said that I had never seen Jaws, and then in the next episode, Pierre had said to, um, I think Pierre had said to Rachel that he'd also never seen Jaws, but he'd seen Jurassic Park. Maybe I said that I'd seen Jurassic Park. We talked afterwards and I had just seen Jaws so we could no longer do an episode on Jaws where we were getting our, where we were both getting our like uh, first impressions. And then like Pierre had already seen Jurassic Park. So we couldn't even do an episode where it was like, I've now seen Jurassic Park and Pierre's now seen Jaws. I don't know. It, it, it didn't quite work out, but it was really funny to talk about afterwards. It was. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't seen Jaws. Just to make that clear, I've I've held out. So, what was your what's your quick review on uh, on Jaws? There, then, Jeff, uh, is it a classic movie? No, I yeah, for sure. I I I definitely get the love for it. I I want to watch it again because like I really really liked it the first time, and I was already like I think I was movie fatigued by that time anyway, and I still really liked it. Like maybe. Maybe one later on this year, I'll have a week where I'm like not watching 800 movies a day and I can just watch Jaws again and actually experience it and I'll like it even more. It was very good. <laughs> it's one of those movies that like I love and I've seen a bunch of times, but one of my goals is to see it in theaters. They, uh, mm. they recently had a play in Toronto about the making of Jaws. And I was really hoping to go get a chance to see it, but uh, I did not have a job at the time. <laughs> so I needed to, uh, I, I, I didn't want to spend the money that I may not make back. <laughs> what theater was it at? Was that like factory or something? I think that was, uh, I think it was at the Queen Elizabeth. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, aside from that little detour, Pierre, how are you doing today? I'm good. It's a Saturday morning. It's uh, not very nice outside, so I'm happy to be warm inside podcasting. That's good. Um, I appreciate that now I can have both of you back. It's always great when I, I talk to either one of you, but it's nice that both of you are here. So uh, I, I thank you for that. Uh, I want to know how your own personal Oscar death race is going. For those that don't know what Oscar death racing is, is where we try to watch literally every single movie nominated, uh, including shorts. This year so far, I've seen 27 of the 54 nominated movies. And by my count, you have already done shows on five of the best picture nominees. Uh, so I, I'd like to know how, how your death race is going. And do you plan on doing more uh, podcasts about the best picture nominees? 
Um, Pierre, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I, I think we're going to do – I think what we said, we're not going to force it, but we're going to try to do as as many as possible, I guess, if we – uh, if we want to, uh, personally, my death races is, isn't going very great. I'm like caught up in, I'm watching the oceans movies right now. So I'm getting through those. Um, and, uh, so I'm a little, dist- oh, and I'm playing the last of us too right now. So I'm like very distracted from, uh, the Oscar movies right now. So I think I have a like probably by the end of this week, I'm going to like really start going for it, but it's going to be a close, close race. Uh, I, I finished last week. Um, my last movie was a house made of splinters, but I finished it and, uh, I'm done. Uh, as far as our episodes go, I'm, uh, thank you for counting that. I hadn't counted myself, so I'm glad to hear it's at five. Um, I, I know we're doing at least one more. We're going to record it after this episode. And then, I am very enthusiastic about uh, Ruben Ostland movies. So I know I've been like really trying to convince Pierre to watch Triangle of Sadness. So we'll probably do at least one more and we'll see if we get to the other three in time. Like, like Pierre said, we're not going to force it because I remember last year it was super stressful and like, I, I want to talk about Oscar movies, but I don't want to talk about Oscar movies if it ends up being stressful. So like, We'll we'll see if we get to all of them. You are such a fair and benevolent uh, podcast dictator, there, Jeff. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. So today we are going to be talking about three of the ten best picture nominees, and that is the Banshees of Inisherin, the Fablemans, and Top Gun Maverick. As you can probably deduce by looking at the title of this episode. As I mentioned at the top, we're going to go through each of the nominations and sort of categorize how likely we think they are to win. So this isn't really uh, a review of these movies. We will talk a little bit of our of our thoughts or overview thoughts on, on whether we like the movie or not at the start of each movie, but it's not really a, a review like a, a typical show would sort of consist of. So we're going to start off with The Banshees of Inishirin, which has nine nominations, and that includes Best Picture, Best Director for Martin McDonough, Best Actor for Colin Farrell, Best Supporting Actor for Brendan Gleeson, Best Supporting Actor for Barry Keegan, Best Supporting Actress for Carrie Condon, Best Original Screenplay, also by Martin McDonough, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score. So I guess before we start things off, I'd like to know your your sort of your overview thoughts on this movie without having to get too deep. Jeff, we'll start with you. Uh, this movie made me really sad. Like, I really liked it. But also, uh, I've had experiences like that in the past. Like, this movie is about two friends that just stop talking to each other for basically no reason. And I've had experiences like that. And I've had experiences like in this movie where it's not just that you, you know, grow apart. It's that one person actively does not want to hear from the other person. I've been on both sides of that. And uh, so it made me really sad. Uh, It's also a very funny movie. I liked it a lot. I think this would be 
of the best picture nominees this year, this is definitely in my top three because I just really liked it a lot. I think this is one of the few, I try not to give out five stars on, uh, when I review movies. Um, but I do a lot anyway. And I think this is one of like three or four that I gave five stars last year. Very nice. And what about you, Pierre? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd have to agree with Jeff. I, I love this movie a lot. This is one of those movies where I left the theater and I'm just kind of shook with, uh, the movie I just witnessed. And, um, like it's a, it's a very weird kind of abstract, like story because of the setting. But I think it like, like where it comes from is from a very, um, or like familiar place, like the themes of it. Uh, which is why I think it like hits so much with like quite a few people because yeah, like, like just said, it's like, it's a, it's a story that some people or a lot of, I think everyone has like experienced at one point where they're having uh, trouble with a friend in their lives. And um, it's, it's cool to see that. I guess we don't see a lot of that portrayed on screen too. So it's cool to see that. And I think that kind of makes it stick out as well. So um, yeah, definitely like, top three i think this is like my second favorite movie of the year for sure oh wow that's very high praise um if i remember correctly you guys appeared on paulo show the oscar death death race podcast to talk about this did you not yes that is correct okay yeah and, and you all were, were pretty glowing about it in uh in that episode we were yeah i, <laughs> I don't think i i stand by it yeah i don't it was a pretty easy review like me and jeff both really love this movie um, yeah, I don't, I can't think of anything we disagreed on really. <laughs> well, I'm going to diverge ever so slightly. Uh, I liked this movie, but I didn't quite love it. I, I, I love the premise, the setup. And, and like you both were saying, I think it's a very relatable subject matter, uh, in something that most people have gone through either on one side or the other, or both sometimes, which, uh, which I feel like I have as well. Uh, the performance is absolutely incredible, but, uh, I feel like they're just, as the movie went on, it didn't evolve enough or or have a, a satisfying enough ending or I, I i'm not quite sure exactly how i feel about it but but whatever it was i wasn't totally enamored with it by the end of it despite uh really enjoying all the performances and i also think it has a, a larger impact of me feeling like i'm getting diminishing returns on martin mcdonough's work in bruges i think is one of the you know the the greatest comedies of the last you know, 20, 30 years, something like that. Uh, and every movie he's released after that, I, I've liked it less and less, uh, culminating with three billboards, a movie I absolutely despise. And this one I did like more than three billboards, but I, I hate it, three billboards, so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's fair. I, I've, I haven't rewatched a lot of McDonough because I remember I liked three billboards a lot in the moment. I've heard you talk about it negatively so much <laughs> that I think that I maybe need to go back and rewatch it. Oh God. Uh, but um, I recently rewatched seven psychopaths, uh, which is, which is really good. Um, but I think like, I think, I don't know. I like, I like movies that are kind of anticlimactic. So mm. the ending to me really works because there is no like, I don't know. We'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to one of the other movies we're talking about, but like there's no big epic climax for this movie. There doesn't have to be. And like, there shouldn't be. 
And so I think that this movie, to me, it never gets more exciting than the beginning. And that's actually to its benefit. Like, I think it, uh, I really like, I don't know, I think I like nihilism in movies. I probably mischaracterize nihilism at all. But like, this movie, to me, really, really works just because of how drained and empty it makes me feel by the end. Yeah, I think I think that's really fair, and and I know I'm in the minority uh, of of not being over the moon of this. I think I gave this movie like a, a three stars or three and a half stars. Like, it's it's one of those things where kind of like my feelings on Parasite, where I'm like, yeah, it's it's a good movie, but like, I'm not in love with it, and I, and I sort of feel like a bit like an outsider. At least with three billboards with me hating it, I can like be like, no, this is my flag in the sand. This movie sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think with three billboards there are I would say it's it's probably his most overrated movie for sure. Yep. Um like <laughs> that was easy. Um like <laughs> there there are some things that like I think I love the product of it overall, but there are definitely it's like one of those movies where like you appreciate um but if you like look closely at it, if you think about it, there's like a couple things that just like are like kind of pretentious and like kind of weird. Um, but like the sum of it, I guess, hides it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, especially looking at these nominations here, two things I think McDonough does really well is he knows how to write incredible dialogue and he knows how to, I I, I don't know if it's his casting decisions, but the casting decisions in the actors he work with always give phenomenal performances, even when I don't like it. So I, like I said, I hate three billboards, Francis McDormand fantastic she's incredible in it she gives uh, she's always incredible but like she does it in a way that's really unique and special same as Woody Harrelson Sam Rockwell everyone else in that movie same as this movie you look the fact that this got four acting nominations is absolutely incredible and speaks to the volumes of the people that want to work with McDonough and the talent where they rise to the occasion as well can I also very briefly, I won't dwell on it, but I want to just shout out a, uh, a, an article that I read by Mark O'Connell over on Slate, who, uh, so I really liked Banshees of, Ir- of Inishirin. Mark O'Connell did not and has a really, really good takedown of this over on Slate called, uh, I think it's literally just called Blarney. Like, it's a very good article on Slate about the Banshees of Inishirin and its quote-unquote fake Irishness. He kind of calls out Martin McDonough for being uh, fake Irish, which I think is very funny, but it's also a very good article. Uh, uh, sorry for the side tangent there. but I, I've just pulled it up. I'm going to read this later, and I'm also going to include this in the show notes because I'm very curious about what that entails that that definitely has my interest uh so thank you for bringing that up um but yeah let's get into this obviously the first one that we've got here is best picture we're going to go in order from quote unquote the the bigger awards and, and work our way down in the order that i read them out earlier so we've got best picture this is an interesting movie you know it's got nine nominations which you know puts it in the upper echelon just behind everything everywhere all at once for the second most nominations if I'm remembering correctly tied with all quiet on the western front and that has to mean something in, in my opinion that means it's got wide appeal across multiple uh, branches who vote for the individual awards but they all come together and vote for best picture 
So the fact that it's got nine nominations really speaks loudly to the fact that it's got broad appeal. That said, four of the nominations come in the actors branch, which means the actors really love this movie. But, you know, I have to wonder where does this really place it? In in my sort of a humble opinion, I still think, you know, Everything Everywhere with 11 nominations is the front runner. Is this a co-front runner with it? Is the Fableman one of them? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I don't really know where to sort of categorize this. I am having this in the dark horse category, which is basically, uh, you know, front runner for best picture is, you know, the top one to two, one to three movies. Dark horse would be, you know, the three to five movies. And so I believe Banshees is a movie that stands a chance to win best picture, but I don't think it's the most likely to do so. It's going to need to do a lot of interesting things uh, in order to win best picture, but I think it's probably in contention. What about you? Are you sort of in a similar boat as me or am I sort of undervaluing undervaluing this movie's chances? I I definitely say this is a a dark horse too. Um, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I I said this is my second favorite movie of the year, so I guess (laughs) that's all I can really say about that. Yeah, so I wrote it down as dark horse uh, and I wouldn't promote it all the way to front runner but I do think it is it is very close to being a co-front runner with Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think if Everything Everywhere All at Once doesn't win it, I would actually be very shocked if any other movie won it that wasn't The Banshees of Inishirin. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of feeling a similar boat where it's probably the next most likely. Yes. And obviously, I feel like the the three movies we're talking about today are probably three of the the, the most likely to be everything everywhere's competition. So it makes a, it's going to make a bit of an interesting discussion. We're probably going to end up repeating ourselves a little bit here. Um, but do you do you think this movie has broad enough support, or do you think its support mostly lies with the acting branch, considering it has four nominations? So. Um the main thing that I'm kind of going on for Banshees of Inishirin is the Golden Globes, which don't matter because the Golden Globes voters aren't Oscars voters. So ultimately, it's a very flawed metric to go off of. But at the Golden Globes, Banshees won over everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think that what I've heard, well, what I've heard in um, what I've heard a lot of people say is that everything everywhere all at once doesn't really resonate with a lot of older voters where I've never heard anyone say that about Banshees of Inishirin. And clearly Banshees of Inishirin resonates with younger voters because I think all three of us would qualify as younger voters. And all three of us said that at least generally speaking, we liked it. Mm-hmm. I think me and Pierre liked it a little more than you, but you didn't even say that you disliked it. Mm-hmm. Um, where, uh, you know, I've heard some people, I've, I've heard a lot of my friends specifically say their moms specifically did not like everything everywhere all at once. So I think that Banshees of Inishirin has a very good chance of being very high on a lot of people's ballots, where everything everywhere all at once potentially may, it, it'll be like number one for a lot of people but many people may have it at like number 10. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, I think Banshees of Inishirin is a pretty, uh, pretty good co-front runner in that respect. uh, Even. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that considering the uh, preferential ballot rules for best picture really does play a strong part into what we think the odds are it has to win. All right, moving on to the next category, that would be best director for Martin McDonough. Uh, once again, this is a this is also a bit of a, a tricky category to to look at because you know they're up, he's up against the Daniel Steven Spielberg Todd Field and Ruben Osland. Uh This is a, a very strong category that, for for best director, and you know in. In recent years, the Academy has sort of uh, been okay with not giving Best Picture and Best Director to the same film. And you wonder if this might be a year that this happens, where if Everything Everywhere does win Best Picture, do they want to give Best Director to Mark McDonough or Steven Spielberg or Todd Field? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's very interesting how that's all going to sort of break down for that. And because of that, I think... It also is a bit of a dark horse for this because, you know, it's probably going to be tied with another director. Not going to mention it right now. Um, but yeah, it's it's very strong because if they decide, you know, fine, we'll give everything everywhere best picture. But, you know, we don't, the Daniels aren't getting best director. Who's it going to go to? Probably Martin McDonough. I don't know. Yeah, I feel, I feel like the best picture is kind of like, it's like, the the academy like they'll kind of pick best picture will be like the the fan like a fan favorite like a pleasing one whereas best director they might be more ballsy and pick someone they like actually are very biased towards um so yeah i i'd say like mar mcdonough has a might have a better chance here but um i mean considering his competition i think i actually think it's going to be really tough for him i mean I kind of think that uh, I think Martin McDonough is a little bit more safe here because as much as I think the ballsy choice would be to give best director to the people who made the horse sex movie, I don't know <laughs> how likely that is to happen. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. Best director definitely feels like a ballsier category, but it feels like a ballsier category in that they've, in that at least in previous years they've tended to um god i don't know really gravitate towards really good directing like chloe zhao won two years ago and then i believe jane campion won last year if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. uh and those but those were ballsy in ways that are very different from everywhere everything everywhere all at once and so i don't know if uh Daniels are gonna are are gonna are gonna get that one. Yeah. Could could it even possibly be a reversal where Daniels get best director and Banshees get best picture? Could you that, see that seems very strange to me. Could it happen? Sure, but that would be that would be weird. Yeah, that that would be very odd. Like, <laughs> I would agree with that. I would actually be I wouldn't even be mad. I'd just be like, wow, that that is a plot twist. <laughs> yeah, it seems it seems hard to fathom that. Even though, if I was to chalk up everything's, I know we're not talking about that movie today. Everything's um, central strength is the fact that it's such a unified vision by the Daniels. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't know what that says, but yeah, saying saying it like that does sound weird. It does sound more likely to be the flip side where everything everywhere wins best picture and then one of the other four nominees win best director. 
All right, moving on to the next category. We've got Best Actor for Colin Farrell. And this is a really interesting one because it basically looks like a two-horse race between Colin Farrell and um, and uh, and Brendan Fraser. But then we also have the little sneaky guy in the background, Austin Butler, as well. Uh, this is... Uh, at the beginning of the race, the season, the award season, it really seemed like it was just going to be Farrell and Frazier, but now it just seems to be more of a, a three-headed race. Do you buy into the three-headed race theory, or is this just Brendan Fla- Frazier's award to lose, or does Colin Farrell stand a chance? Where do you make of this award? Uh, I think this one's tough because like, I, I, I think Colin Farrell was like amazing i think he he, the problem is he doesn't really have like a great storyline for his oscar run if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like he's already a very like well-esteemed actor so he's not coming up from anything um he's not coming back from anything like like brendan fraser has that huge storyline of like like he's been gone from any big roles for like 20 years and he's like back and it's like a darren aronofsky movie which is crazy um, Austin Butler is like this really up and coming star who was like, wasn't he like I heard he was he was was he doing the the Elvis accent for the entirety of like the Oscar press run or something too like he just dropped it recently I think or maybe so it was the Elvis press run he recently dropped it but he didn't realize he still had it like uh, when I saw Elvis he was there and he was doing the Elvis accent and it was unintentional like that's just how he talks now he's 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 working on undoing it, according to Dave Bautista. But like, that's just how he talks. I mean, it's possible, but like, I that also feels like a a PR thing. <laughs> like, he might be doing a it just bit. to get people talking about it. I'm not saying like it's for sure, but it like I'm I'm just saying that like Austin Butler also has like like he really wants this thing, and um, his PR team or whoever is his rooting for him. Uh, have really made it like his name big despite the movie having coming out uh, a few months ago compared to a, f- a few months before Banshees of Inisherin, where uh, like I, I, I think everyone I've talked to specifically about the movie said Colin Farrell's amazing in that movie. But if you look at like uh, social media and like uh, uh, just general pop culture stuff, like no one's really actually talking about Colin Farrell. So um, I think that's just his biggest disadvantage is that he doesn't have that storyline behind him to win. But I, I, I really hope he wins it just purely on talent. I think that would be really, really nice. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be campaigning as hard. And I think this sort of goes back to Colin Farrell's uh, general blase attitude towards the industry, something that, you know, used to get him in trouble where he didn't care about the, you know, the the norms that Hollywood was supposed to follow. And I think, you know, he's definitely mellowed out now compared to where he was in the early 2000s, where, you know, he was always drunk and smoking during interviews and picking fights with people and all that sort of stuff. I think now he just like, he's like, whatever, man, I don't care. Like, you want to vote for me, vote for me. If you don't want to vote for me, I don't care. It's not going to change what projects I choose or anything like that, or my career as a whole. Um, So it really does seem that as the season has sort of uh, gone on and extended, Farrell's name has been less and less in the news, and maybe that means Butler has surpassed him. I still like to think that he's probably the front runner tied with Brendan Fraser. It really does sort of seem like a coin flip. I do think eventually it will probably end up going 
inevitably going to Brendan Fraser. But that said, uh, I, I, if I was to put money on it, you know, it would basically be like a fifty-one forty-nine between Fraser and Farrell at this point for me. So back when I saw Elvis, that was the first movie that I saw this year where I was like, that is going to get Oscar buzz and it's going to be specifically for Austin Butler. So I'm honestly a little shocked that Austin Butler is just now being considered the third option. I do still think it's between Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser. Um, but Austin Butler is like a serious contender. I don't know. I don't know why, if at all, people were undervaluing him before. Um, but generally I think this is a really strong category Four of the five are really good. Uh, Butler, Farrell, Fraser, and Mescal are pretty incredible in their roles. Um, but I do think it is, I think it is very much Farrell's to lose. Um, Fraser has a lot of, he's got a, like a lot of like grassroots stuff behind him. Um, but I think he's being overvalued just a little bit in terms of, whether or not he's going to get the award because I think he's, I think he's worth it. I I think he was my personal favorite performance of the year, but like, I think it's going to go to Colin Farrell and it, I'm not sad that it would, if it, if it did. Interesting. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the best supporting actor category where we've got two nominees. We've got Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keegan here, uh, which, you know, is always makes for a interesting race, when you've got two nominees from the same film, because something then you have to worry about is the cannibalization of votes. Are they going to steal away votes from the other person? Sometimes what usually ends up happening is voters will be like, nope, this is the front runner. So this is where, you know, we're going to send our votes to and stuff like that. And that's how I sort of feel is probably going to happen. I don't know if Brendan Gleeson is going to win this category or not, but I don't, think that Barry Keegan is going to siphon off enough votes to make Brendan Gleeson lose, if that would be uh, the best way of probably putting it. And the reason is, this has incredibly stiff competition by Kihoi Kwan from Everything Everywhere All at Once, who seems to be picking up every single award along the way. And if you were to make sort of any locks throughout this, throughout all the Oscar categories... I would probably say Kihoi Kwan is probably one of the safest locks. And Brendan Gleeson is the dark horse because he's the number two, but I think there's a mountain of distance between Kwan and Gleeson. Do you sort of feel similarly to me, or am I maybe overvaluing uh, overvaluing Kwan, undervaluing Gleeson, ignoring Keegan at all? What? Are, how do you feel about all that? No, I fully agree with you on everything you just said. I think it would be... Um, it- I, I think Kihoi Kwan is like one of the safest people in this entire show. And, uh, you know, Brandon Gleason is a hard second, but I think that again, like you just said, there's so much distance between them. It's, it's, it's unlikely that he could get it. I think, even though I would consider him a dark horse. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree. Uh, I was talking about storylines before. I think Quan probably has the best storyline of any Oscar nominee I've ever seen right now. So mm-hmm. like he has a lot going for him. I, I obviously I think his performance was was amazing. I think it is, is probably the best one here, honestly. Um, I think if if any like if anyone from Banshees win, it, it's going to be Brendan Gleeson. I think Barry Keegan was amazing, but like if you if you had to put them side to side, like Brendan Gleeson just had like 
much. I mean, he was basic. I'm surprised. Like he's basically a main character. He, yeah. Like, so um, I don't really see Barry Keegan. I don't see the votes being split off because yeah, I think Gleason would just get them all um, because he just overshadows Keegan, even though Keegan, I think put in an equally good performance, but yeah, this is probably Quan's Quan's award to lose at this point. Yeah, it's interesting because if I was to like sort of rank my own uh, feelings on this category, I would put Keegan above Gleason because I just thought Keegan's, you know, especially his end monologue was just so devastating and heartbreaking. And whereas Gleason, you know, Gleason is one of those actors who like every time he pops up, you're like, oh, yeah, Brian Gleason. He's great in everything. Yeah, I know he's going to be good in this, regardless of the movie, the quality of the movie sort of thing. And Barry Keegan, I think, you know, if you've seen Killing of a Sacred Deer, uh, that's that's a really great showcase for his performance. And, you know, he's been in some other stuff, Eternals and Dunkirk and stuff like that, but he doesn't really have, like, big meaty parts that really makes him stand out. And so I think this was, like, a really big coming out party for him of being people being like, wow, look at this guy. He is incredible. Uh, and, and so I'm sort of a bit on the the Barry Keegan bandwagon as of thinking that he was a, a little bit better than Gleason not to take anything away from Gleason though yeah that's fair I see what you're saying I like yeah I think you could argue you could argue that uh Keegan had did have a better performance I think I think the thing is though is that like Gleason Gleason's just older and like he has more um I don't know I feel like the 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 academy would favor someone older uh, mm-hmm. Keegan, I think he he's he's really just because I I couldn't believe like the guy from the Eternals and who had that like really bad cameo in the Batman <laughs> was like this good of an actor. I had no idea. Um, so I think like I wouldn't. I'm not. I kind of hope he doesn't win because I think he's gonna have a very fruitful career to come. And uh, I don't want like I don't think this was the performance that he should win an Oscar for. If that makes sense, I I think he can like find a role that's like much better. Um, in the future for him to win for. But yeah, it's my personal feelings. Now I know we're going to talk about, uh, this same topic for a different movie, but do you think there's a bit of category fraud with Brendan Gleeson? Uh, should he be in best actor? No, not at all. He's absolutely a supporting actor in my opinion. What about you, Pierre? Uh, I don't know what the definition is in the Oscars, but I, I think he probably should be a, a best actor. Like, I mean, it's not really fair putting, I'm surprised Judd Hirsch is in this, honestly, because he was not in the Fablements for very, I'm not saying his performance was bad or anything, but it just seems kind of, kind of a joke to put Brendan Gleeson, who probably has like at least an hour of screen time in Banshees compared to Judd Hirsch, who had like four minutes or something like that. Like, it's just like, like, how, in what scenario do you see Judd Hirsch winning this? Like, he's not Anthony Hopkins, to be honest here. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it it does feel a little odd. Same thing with almost the same thing with Kihui Kwan, but uh, obviously his character was a supporting actor and uh, everything everywhere all at once. But, yeah, I think Brendan Gleeson could have been put in Best Actor. I mean, to me, it's like the Banshees of Inishirin, for as much as it is the story of this friendship it's the story of Colin Farrell and it's told from Colin Farrell's perspective. And so when Brendan Gleeson is there, we're never seeing like inside his mind. We're very rarely seeing his perspective on things. To me, 
that is a supporting actor. Like, I know that that's not necessarily the criteria that the Academy use, but when I'm using it, my, when I'm, when I'm thinking about this movie myself, there's no universe where I put Brendan Gleeson in best actor personally. Mm. Not that that, you know, not that, not that I am the Academy, Yeah, but that's, that's my thoughts. Yeah, that's fair. I think often people resort to using screen time as the only metric to judge based on lead and supporting and sort of discount the not quite protagonist antagonist sort of way of looking at things, but whose story are we seeing? Whose uh, emotions are we mostly feeling? Are we seeing uh, one person when the other is not around what their life is like and things like that? And we don't really get to see a lot of Brendan Gleeson's character away from Colin Farrell. Mm hmm. So I think I think you're right there. So sort of recap there. For Brendan Gleeson, I put him as a dark horse. And for Barry Keegan, I put him as just happy to be there. Do you sort of both agree with with sort of similar statements there? I had the exact yeah. same thing on my sheet. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Exactly. Too. Okay. Cool. Then moving on to Best Supporting Actress, we've got Carrie Condon. This is, a, this is another interesting one where I sort of thought that she was the front runner uh, for the good portion of the season. And now it sort of seems like Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever has sort of snuck in there and looks to be maybe the new front runner. And as Peter was talking about earlier, narratives play a very important factor of who wins different awards, and especially the acting awards. Narrative is almost as important of the actual quality of performance. So we've got someone like Angela Bassett, who is a phenomenal, legendary legacy actor who probably gets one of her biggest mainstream roles um, that people have seen her in. And she does quite phenomenal in it. And of course, she gets a, a very deserved nomination and stuff like that. And then suddenly now it sort of seems like she is the front runner. In my opinion, Carrie Condon should be the winner for this category. And I, I don't know if this is just my personal opinion seeping in strongly, but bec- I, I think she's still the front runner. Am I just being crazy and letting my biases take over? Or or do you think that the narrative of Angela Bass is maybe uh, a little too strong right now and sort of overshadowing that there is still a bit of a competition here? I don't know if I can properly comment on this because... I also think that Carrie Condon is, well, I mean, my personal pick would probably be Stephanie Sue, but considering Stephanie Sue and Jamie Lee Curtis are both nominated and both did really well, had like meaty parts, I think they're, I think that one's going to get a vote split and Carrie Condon would be my very, very close second in this category. Um, But like, so so I refuse to see her as anything other than the front runner. But like I guess Angela Bassett is getting a lot of buzz. I don't know. To me Angela ba- like Angela Bassett's performance in Black Panther isn't bad. It's good, I guess. But the thing is like it it reminds me a lot of um like Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. Not that those two performances are specifically the same, but like Angela Bassett's performance in Wakanda Forever is a lot of acting. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily great acting. Like it's not bad, but it's a lot. She gets a lot of very big moments where she gets to be very sad and she gets to have trauma 
and say a big speech. And that's cool, I guess. But personally, I didn't even think she was the best part in that movie. And I wouldn't have nominated the best part in that movie for an award. So I don't know what she's doing here. But I guess she's the front runner. So maybe Carrie Condon isn't. But I refuse to put Carrie Condon as anything other than the front runner. Interesting. What about you, Pierre? I would say that uh, I, I, I honestly can't believe I'm still kind of shocked Angela Bassett is in any of these categories. Not because I actually really loved her performance in Black Panther. I think she took a character that I could not care less about <laughs> in the other movies. And and like, I left this movie being like, where the hell? Like, I actually love Queen Ramonda now. Like, she performed <laughs> that really, really well. Um, So like, I, I have a lot of respect for her role because she felt it felt like she came into a blockbuster like Marvel movie where I think in that movie, it felt like a lot of people phoned it in and she just kind of stormed it and took and like made it her own, despite probably being the character. No one like was expecting to care about at all. Um, so I'm really happy to see she's here. Uh, and I actually like kind of hope she wins in some ways. Um, I think Carrie Condon, the unfortunate thing is that her, I think she was amazing in her role. It's just her role was so, um, like I don't want to. I the the first word that might comes to mind is basic and straightforward because it's a very basic and straightforward character. You know, um, she's she's surrounded by, uh, like Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Sue. Like they perform. They had like very wild, erratic performances in everything, everywhere, all at once. Like I think Jamie Lee Curtis played like five different characters in that movie. <laughs> With the, like this, or it's the same character, but like in different ways, five different ways in that movie, and it's almost the same with or Stephanie Sue, where she had like two or three different ways of playing her character. So I really love Carrie Condon. I kind of think she's right now. I would say she's a a long. Sh- no, I don't want to say a long shot because she's amazing. I think it just depends on how the Academy sees her. Um. Cause she's just surrounded by so much noise. That's going to be hard to like see her out of all this, especially in, cause she was in Banshees of Inisherin, where she's also already surrounded by a bunch of very wild characters too. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I, I really love her too, though. I, I hope she wins. Cause she's, I know she's a smaller actor. Um, and I hope she sees more opportunities in the future. Very interesting. I, I feel like I just witnessed maybe a potential fight between you two. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know we disagreed so much on Andrew Bass. <laughs> so uh, hopefully I don't uh, cause a, a Banshees of Inisherin <laughs> moment between you two here by asking your thoughts on this category. Um, I I will sort of categorize Angela Bassett. I'm sort of more on the, the Jeff uh, side of things. I'm sorry, Pierre. Uh, I look Ooh. at a movie like Elvis. I hated that movie. I didn't hate it. I, I uh, disliked it close to liked it i would say uh but i was able to witness a phenomenal performance and be like wow that's really good very rarely am i able to watch a movie i am uh indifferent or actively dislike and be able to single single out a performance and be like wow they really deserve this and that's sort of where i'm with angela bassett i really didn't like black panther wakanda forever and because of that, it makes me hard. It, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, we should nominate some actors in this. But I'm like, yeah, but the movie's not that good. Why? 
So I have a hard time rooting for Black Panther to win, even if I think Angela Bassett is a great actor and also had a um, fairly decent performance in this. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it diplomatically this way. So I, I am firmly on the Kerry Condon train, and I agree with what you're saying about Curtis and Sue, and it's tough that we're talking about, you know, um, vote cannibalizing for the supporting actor category. It's definitely going to happen in the supporting actress category for those two, which is going to inevitably cancel each other out. And it's probably why there's maybe a bit of a narrative of Angela Bassett coming ahead in the lead instead of someone like Kerry Condon. And that means we're completely ignoring Hong Chao, who, who sort of firmly in the just happy to be their category but yeah i i i think carrie condon is a front runner probably tied with angela bassett but i don't know how confident i am on picking a winner of this category as of this moment yeah it's it's a it's a tough category to pick i i definitely see like i i think the vote splitting is much going to be much harsher for everything everywhere all at once uh than it will be with a best supporting actor because i i think those two roles are equally kind of prominent and it'd be tough to actually pick one over the other. Yeah. And it seems like there's two different camps for, for supporting actress where uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got like the legacy voters of being like, this is our only time we should give it to her. And then you have the Stephanie Sue camp where it's like, yeah, but she was better. So give it to her. You know, she had more to do and she's the emotional weight of the movie, all this sort of stuff. So unlike Keegan versus uh, Gleason where they're like, no Gleason, He's our guy sort of thing. I, I think there's going to be a lot more vote splitting for, for everything everywhere. Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree. I don't know. I feel like this category is going to be the most annoying to hear about afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> no one's coming I, yeah. out of this easy. Yeah. I think no matter what people are going to be unhappy with this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the best original screenplay category. <clears throat> This is sort of uh, the category that Martin McDonough, I think, shines the best at. I think I think his script is stronger than his direction, uh, and and I don't know. Maybe this is once again my my inner bias is sort of leaking out here. But this is a, a stacked category. All five of the nominees are Best Picture nominees as well. It's up against Everything Everywhere, The Fablements, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. And and maybe the way this category goes is the way we're going to see Best Picture goes. So is there a route for this? Even Best Director as well. Is, what, what's the route that you see for Banshees to win or not win of this category? That's tough. Um, I think this is such a stacked category. Like, honestly, every single one of these screenplays is really, really good. Like, I don't even know... I, I can't even like single out one that I'm like, this is the worst of these actually. Um, I think, I think the, I think the path here, God, I don't even know. I, I actually have no idea how to, how to even judge this category. I think it's very good. The Fablemans is very good and it's maybe a more safe pick in this category. I guess maybe I'll talk about that later. Everything everywhere all at once is, so wild that maybe it maybe that turns people off. Uh, I think Tar and Triangle of Sadness are maybe like they're those are going to be a lot of like mid ballot things. I I think I think it's between Banshees of Inisherin and Fablemans at this one, and it's really just like do people want to go with something that's 
uh, more familiar or do they want to go with something that's a little bit less familiar, but also like neither of them is exactly a wild choice. I don't know how to say that. Interesting. What about you, Pierre? Uh, I mean, I haven't seen Tar or Triangle of Sadness. So this is a tough one for me to like kind of say my feelings for. I'd I'd say this has the best screenplay of the year um, of the movies I've seen. I think Everywhere All at Once has like a great screenplay, but parts I think it's it's just a very corny screenplay. And uh, I think the movie, like the directing of the movie, really hides it. But there's like some really corny stuff in here. So I don't really like I don't see it winning and I wouldn't mind it not winning, uh, even though I like again, I think it's a great I think it is a good screenplay. But I wouldn't say like Banshees, I think Martin McDonough, uh, I'm, I have a bias because I just love the way he writes his characters. Um, he has this way of he never I, I feel like he never for the main characters, he never makes anyone like truly evil or good. Like he, he'll have like this truly horrible character and and you kind of start the movie like what the hell like i hate this guy but then as the movie goes on you just understand the relationships and the characters deeper and then they do things that really surprise you um or i might like like colin farrell like in this like that he really changed uh he really went on a path that was like very believable but also and tragic um, but it didn't feel forced in any way. And like, I I feel like you couldn't hate any of the character, the main characters in Banshees. Like they all have like their own lovable parts of them, even though they, some of them do some horrible things and it's a very depressing movie. Um, and I, I think this is like potentially his, uh, I don't know. It's between this and in Bruges, it's potentially his best like written movie. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say this has like the best screenplay, like definitely in terms of dialogue and stuff, if nothing else. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I also agree. This is an absolutely stacked category and I think it's also the dark horse. I don't know to what though. Um, I think all these movies are probably the dark horses and there's no front runners. Um, but yeah, this is, this is very tricky. And, and also another thing I think, we kind of have to consider is the screenplay category can often be, I'll call it the Pulp Fiction Memorial Award, where the Academy <laughs> will give it to the movie that they they deem is the most unique and interesting, but they won't dare give it best picture. And and maybe that's where this gets its award is, you know, we're just like, oh, we're not going to give it to best picture. We're not going to give it for best director, but you know what? Best original screenplay. We'll give you that award. How does that sound? Um, so that's something to sort of consider a little bit there. But if if you're going to go that route, then I think Tar maybe has a bit more of a, a stronger chance, or even uh, Triangle of Sadness. I know you haven't seen either of them here, so you can't really comment on that. So it's sort of interesting of of trying to read the tea leaves of how this category will go. I have it as a dark horse, but I'm not super confident about where I'm placing it. Am I placing it as the number two? Am I placing it as the number three, four, or is it maybe even the number one? I don't know. So this is, this is one I'm not very confident about at all. So I guess to like sort of summarize my feelings into very concise words, I think that for original screenplay, this is a co-front runner with Fableman's. Um, but I also, I, I think that if anything, we're going to get the Pulp Fiction Award that you said, then it probably wouldn't be this one. Yeah, I think that's probably also Tar or Triangle of Sadness. 
Yeah. I think everything everywhere all at once is too weird for either of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And obviously we're not talking about everything everywhere today, so I'll kind of have to summarize my thoughts on that when we when we get to that episode with with Paulo and John um when they come on the show, but yeah. So I don't I don't know where we stand on this category and if anyone's trying to uh place bets on this one, uh we're sorry we didn't clarify anything. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on to best film editing. And uh, this is a this is one where I feel like maybe it's a bit of a more of a long shot. The editing isn't as pronounced compared to some of its counterparts. Uh, really, basically, three of the nominees are uh, very heavily edited movies. And so they're probably going to be more likely one of them because it is uh, most editing, not necessarily best editing at times. But what I think is interesting is all five of the nominees are also Best Picture nominees. And that, you know, there's usually a huge correlation between the movie that wins Best Picture also at least has a Best Editing nomination. Now, the fact that all five of these are Best Picture nominees doesn't clarify anything. And so it makes everything really confusing, but it sort of makes it look like what are the what the Academy deems to be the best movies. Cause it's, it's Banshees, it's Elvis, it's everything everywhere. It's tar and it's top gun Maverick. So do we sort of agree as a round table that the Academy voters as a whole probably view these five movies as the actual five best. Oh, I didn't get that from what you were saying at all. Really? Okay. How do how do you feel about this category then? I don't know. Maybe this, Maybe this sounds extremely dismissive. I don't know why it would necessarily, but I think these are just the five best edited films. Like they're not, they're they're not necessarily the five best, but like because like specifically, I don't notice Fablemans on there, and I think that I, I think that I would probably put Fablemans in the top five of these Best Picture nominees, maybe, and. Uh, I definitely think the Academy would, and it's not on best film editing. Whereas Elvis was, you know, most editing, sure, but also really good. And I don't want to talk about every single one of them specifically, but all of these are really, really well edited movies. Uh, Banshees of Inishirin is very, I think I talked about this last year when we talked about Coda. I don't know if it was on this show or if it was on our show, but, um, Coda had what I thought was very passive, very, very good passive directing. And I think that Banshees has the same thing for editing. It's very well edited, but you don't notice it at all. But like, it is there. It is really, really well done. And that's, and you know, part of the indication that it is as well edited as it is, is that you don't notice it in the first place. Where with Elvis, you really notice it. Um, and I would say it's very good because you get to do because like the editors get to have a lot of fun. But, um, you know, that's definitely more of a most editing where I do think Banshees is very, very good editing. It's just very subtle. OK, interesting. Pierre, what about you? Um, I I think I don't think Banshees has a chance to hell in this category. I think I think it's actually like a very subtly well edited movie like it's astoundingly well paced considering how slow the subject matter is um i remember telling jeff i like i i kind of had i had to pee pretty badly at the start of the movie <laughs> or not badly i just i realized i had to pee 
I was like, I'm going to get up when this movie gets boring. And I didn't get up the whole time. And I really had to pee after. Um, so I don't know if that's a commentary on the status of my bladder or the movie. But uh, like, I, I think it was like, it, it's really well done considering like how boring this movie could have been. Um, but I think against the sheer amount of uh, <laughs> like Elvis, I, I don't know how they made Elvis cohesive, if I'm going to be honest <laughs> I was honestly astounded. I left that movie and I like kind of understood what happened. Um, and I think that's, I, I don't know if that's like a Baz. I mean, obviously that's like a part of Baz Luhrmann's style, but I think like the, the, those editors probably went through hell with that movie. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I wouldn't mind them getting the award here. I think, I think it's tough though, because like everything everywhere all at once also just has like an insane amount of editing that I think, like really makes the movie work too um i mean like the whole i want to say like the whole third act is like pieced together from like different like because they're what they're in like seven different universes at the same time kind of and they're telling like mm-hmm. seven different storylines in the third act um and it's mostly just through the power of editing you know like those those were sequenced extremely well and so i think I think this would beat out Elvis because not only I think it's, it has better editing um, it's better edited, but it also like has way more like editing to it as well. Um, but yeah, like ca- compared to those two and then you have Top Gun on like as well. Like I don't think Banshee's like, it's just too, it's too quiet to really make a big splash here. Um, and I wouldn't say like the editing is like, something like that really stuck out to me after the movie. It's just like something that like you kind of reflect on. So I don't think it's like, I think this is definitely a long shot or maybe just a happy to be here too. Yeah. I I'm sort of in the same boat as, as you there, Pierre, I, I have it as a long shot as well. Uh, and I just think because of the other movies are so heavily edited, um, it, it's a little too subtle of this film. Uh, so it, it doesn't stand out enough for me. Now, the the last category is Best Original Score. Um, This is is a bit of an interesting one because I I really like the score of this movie, but, you know, maybe going back to the editing, it's a little subtle at times, especially compared to some of the other ones. Now, I know, Jeff, you're huge on the Babylon uh, score. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and it's it's fantastic. Um, and there's some very other interesting scores in this category as well. It's up against All Quiet on the Western Front, Babylon, Banshee, oh, Everything Everywhere, and The Fablemans. So you've got a mix of some very interesting and unique scores and uh, a legendary composer in John Williams for The Fablemans, which is always tough to sort of go against, even if he doesn't win all the time, you know, he's, he's definitely like the giant of the category for sure. I, uh, I also think this is a bit of a long shot because I think, you know, you have a, you've got John Williams and, and B you've got some very interesting other scores that are, you know, two different narratives. This category can go into place. And I think that's just too much for Banshees to overcome. Yeah. I put it as a, just happy to be here in this category. Like, uh, it's, it's good. I do like the score of Banshees of Inishirin, but it's very subtle and like, I don't know, it's not, it doesn't really stand out a lot where Babylon is the opposite of subtle. And I think All Quiet on the Western Front is probably the most, if I were to pick, if, if I were picking a winner, 
based on like just themes and how well the score uh, complements the movie. I don't know how anything other than All Quiet on the Western Front could be the winner here. But like, um, then you've got The Fablemans, which is a very classic film, a very classic John Williams film score, a very good one. Um, and like, I, I would put all three of those above Banshees of Inishirin, which is just sort of, you know, v- good, but like, doesn't really, it doesn't really stand out. And I think that for me, that's why Banshees of Inishirin is just happy to be there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, for me, it's the long shot teetering on just happy to be there for me. Um, we all seem to sort of be in agreement here, I believe, right, right, Pierre? Yeah, I, I'd i say it, I, I, I'm I, sure the score was great. I, I can't really remember it off the top of my head. It was it was pretty, it was more of a subtle score. And I mean, John, I, apparently this is John Williams' last Steven Spielberg movie. So like, I, I can't, I actually really want him to win just because of that. I think he deserves it. And I, I hate, I hate just being like, oh, he, he deserves the award. Like, I didn't, I didn't love the Fableman score. I mean, it didn't really stick out to me either. But uh, it's just such a, it's, it's such a, it's the end of like such a huge collab, like one of the biggest collaborations in Hollywood. So I, I wouldn't mind the Oscars just being like, here, have the award. Uh, All right, because none of these really stuck out to me, anyways. The scores, yeah, that's fair. That's because you haven't seen Babylon. <laughs> well yeah that's true. i haven't seen two of these movies um and justin hurwitz is like a force to be reckoned with as well so i i would not count him out at all yeah the score is really good for babylon really good um listening to to jeff talk about it previously before i watch it, i was like yeah okay i'm, I'm sure it's good and I, I was blown away so all your effusive wow. phrase was uh well worth it i i put it on during work at least once or twice a week does it really amp you up? It does. Yeah. It actually, like, sometimes it's a little too much. I have to, like, <laughs> put it off to the next day. All right, it's 9 a.m. I can't do all the cocaine right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, to sort of summarize this category, this Banshee's chances, I look at it, and I, I only really see maybe one to two wins, and that's coming from Colin Farrell and Kerry Condon. And at the same time, while I say one to two wins – I can absolutely see a path where it uh, walks away with nothing. Honestly, yeah, that would it would be kind of a shock, but you're right. Like it's it's a dark. I don't think we said like any of these categories were like it's a straight up win, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's a dark horse for so many categories that yeah, you're right. I'm reasonably certain it gets one at least, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent confident in what that one would be. Yeah. I think it's best chance as actor, as you already said, and maybe it's second best chance. I might even say original screenplay over supporting actress, but like, I don't know. I, I see one for sure, probably more, but possibly zero, as you said. Yeah, yeah. It's a very tough one to, to sort of uh, to look at that way.
Up next, we've got The Fablemans, directed by Steven Spielberg. And this movie has seven nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director for Steven Spielberg, Best Actress for Michelle Williams, Best Supporting Actor for Judd Hirsch, Best Original Screenplay by Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner, Best Original Score, and Best Production Design. We're going to obviously repeat ourselves a little bit as episodes go on, so we'll try to be a little bit more concise with our, with our thoughts going forward. For the Fablemans, for Best Picture, we talked about this. Is this probably the best chance to win Best Picture over everything, everywhere, all at once? I think we're maybe sort of all in agreement that it's either the number two or number three most likely to win. Uh, so I have this as a very strong dark horse. Uh, probably in the same odds that I would put Banshees, but I think your mileage might vary a little bit and how much stock you put into the Steven Spielberg factor. Oh, I'd, I'd say this is like, it's probably the biggest Oscar bait movie I've ever seen. Like, obviously it's not because of, um, like, it, like Steven Spielberg based it around his childhood, but I mean like, like Steven Spielberg, like probably the best known director in the world directing a movie about, the movie industry slash his childhood and how he grew up liking movies and stuff. Um, and then, and then at, uh, I mean, not for spoilers, but at the end of the movie, he like makes it in the industry and like, we see some cool scenes there. I think it has like a very good chance. I think this movie can surprise a lot of people um, just based on what like it's based. Around. I guess the story is based around. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, it's it's good. I I rewatched it yesterday, and uh, originally I was, like, sort of cold on the movie, and after rewatching it yesterday, I like it a lot more. Uh, that said, I still have this as a pretty weak long shot. Like, in a, in a very, very, very weak year, it would win easily, but this is not a very weak year. And so I think that, like, it's up against everything, everywhere, all at once, the Banshees of Inishirin, All Quiet on the Western Front, and frankly, I'd put Elvis above it. Like, I don't think it's I don't think it's likely to win, personally. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that uh, it, it's this is a, a tough one to sort of gauge. We're si- or sort of similar to West Side Story last year, where you know I think a lot of older voters probably really like this movie, and it's probably going to be. Maybe not the number one for very many voters, but it's probably going to be you know reasonably high to middle of the pack i don't this is one of those movies that is inoffensive to people so you know i I, not that i'm calling everything everywhere all at once an offensive movie but like the type of thing where you can see where some people voters are not going to like it so they're going to have it very low same as something like tar or triangle of sadness even women talking this is like a you know i liked it I'm going to have it high-ish. Might not be my number one, but it's going to be high-ish. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Is will that be enough to carry it to a victory? If uh, everything everywhere is too divisive, or Banshees just doesn't have enough broad enough support, things like that. So that's something we need to sort of keep in mind. But I don't know how much it's going to play a factor into things. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on to best director, we've got Steven Spielberg, old Stevie Spiels. Uh this is tough. I is he the front runner? I, I like because if as we were talking about, if they split picture and director, is Spielberg likely the biggest beneficiary of that happening? 
I mean, name recognition alone gets him very far. I think we talked about this ex- like exactly about Spielberg for director last year because I'm pretty sure we were on the West Side Story episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, name recognition gets him very far. I think Steven Spielberg has, you know, a good shot in this category. Uh, personally, I still put him as a bit of a long shot because I think he's still behind Daniel Kwan and I I think he's still behind Daniels and Martin McDonough. But even looking at the rest of these, like the only person I'm relatively certain he's ahead of is Ruben Ostland. And even then, like, I mean, I liked Ruben Ostland's directing a little bit more than I liked Steven's. Well, no, that's not true. I rewatched this yesterday and it's really, really well directed. Like I get it. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's very, very good directing. It's not exactly exciting directing. So I guess it really comes down to whether or not they split this and maybe best picture. Like, I guess he could win, but I don't personally see him. I, I see him as a long shot here. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm having a more in the front runner category tied with the Daniels, but, uh, I, I also don't know how I feel about this category. <laughs> That's fair. I'd say uh, it is. I, I think director has always been like a tough category for me to like kind of figure out. Uh, I'd say for this year, I I definitely want to say Spielberg's a front runner. Um, I don't necessarily think he was the best director. I actually didn't like love his directing for The Fablemans. Um, I think that the problem is like... Uh, like, I don't think Martin McDonough is going to win for sure. Like, I think this the story, I keep going back to the storyline. I'm sorry, but I think Spielberg's storyline, like him directing a movie about himself feels very full circle. I don't think, and I don't think he's going to win best screenplay or, wait, was he in screenplay? Yeah, he was in screenplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, best screenplay or best picture. So I think this is going to be like the Academy's way of giving him an award without giving him like, like this is, this is the most deserving word he could probably get from the Academy. Um which I feel like he kind like they will kind of want to give him if that makes sense. Um, uh, yeah, especially like I would put the Daniels up there. I think, like, I think they were the best directors this year. I think the problem is I feel like having two directors kind of diminishes the uh, effect of, of how people might see their vision and that might not get them as many votes, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. Just seeing two names up there, I feel like might throw people off. And yeah, <laughs> I I'm not gonna lie. That's not, that's not a great argument, but I just feel it in my heart that like people aren't gonna because maybe if they were titled as the Daniels on the ballot, <laughs> it would go better. But because there's two of them, I don't know. I don't I don't see the Oscars uh, voting them to win here. When you say this is the way of this is the academy's way of giving steven spielberg an award what you really mean is this is the academy's way of giving of not giving tony kushner an award who absolutely <laughs> deserves it for the fablemans fair enough fair enough uh, okay well let's go on to the next category which is best actress and when we're talking about Brendan Gleeson and potentially category fraud. This this is sort of what I was referring to as the other main one is Michelle Williams very much is a supporting performance in this movie is is about Sammy Fableman, not about Sammy Fableman's mother. And, you know, 
I was talking about how oftentimes a metric used to gauge whether someone is leader supporting is the screen time. And I'm trying to remember the stats exactly. I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe Michelle Williams has one of the all-time lowest screen time totals for any best actress nominees. And yet, if she was in best supporting actress, she would be one of the top screen time getters. So she really uh fits in this awkward place of is she lead is she supporting does any of this matter if she was in supporting like many people thought she would be she was sort of expected to be the front runner for this category but now that she's in lead in a very stacked category did she sort of her her team the movie the studio whoever you want to blame uh shoot themselves in the foot so there's a lot to really consider and i'd sort of love to hear uh what you guys have your thoughts on for this so um I rewatched this yesterday, as I was saying, and I I think she would immediately win in Best Supporting Actress. Like I don't think she'd even have competition. Uh that said, having rewatched it, I get it that she's lead actress. Like I, I understand. I think that it makes enough sense for her to go lead actress. I think that you know, if if her team's uh, goal was to win an award, Best Actress was not the way to go because she's up against so many better performances. But, like, she's a very good performance and she is a very major performance. I would consider her the second lead after Gabriel LaBelle. I still think that it would be more supporting but it's not, you know, with Brendan Gleeson, I immediately said he is supporting. With Michelle Williams, I'm not quite as willing to do that because as much as we don't see this movie from her perspective, it is, it's more like we see it from Gabriel's perspective and Gabriel bonds more with his dad in a way. But Michelle Williams' character is there. And like she's she's like the second biggest character, and we don't really see Sammy Fableman's. We see Sammy Fableman's relationship with her, but it's like it's it's distant in a way that even though we get so much of uh, Michelle Williams' characters, I can't remember her name, Mitzi, uh, Mitzi Fableman's um, story in this. It's not really coming from Sammy Fableman. I don't know how to explain that exactly, but like she does feel like a second lead to me. So I don't think this is as much category fraud as I've heard people say it is. There's definitely a lot of uh, mouth gnashing about uh, Michelle Williams' inclusion in this category (laughs) for sure, yeah. Uh, Pierre, what about you? Uh, I haven't seen like, three of these movies so it's tough for me to say i i feel like anna de armas like doesn't stand a chance just because of how how crushing the anti-blonde sentiment was this year i heard Kate blanchette is very good though um so i i actually really want to see tar soon uh michelle williams like i i from what i read online like her, her performance is pretty polarizing um i'm still honestly kind of confused by it because she feels like 
like in a movie where everyone kind of acts like normal people like she's just like such a eccentric weird ins- ins- insertion in this movie um i'm inclined to say i like it just because like i don't know her role just her acting just made me so uncomfortable all the time um and and i think it's in a good way because like it it just it added like this layer to it that it's like a very straightforward story but she added this layer of kind of mystique to it i guess it sounds like a, it's a really weird way to say it but um i i, I don't know if the academy will like her cuz again it's such a weird performance i i think i would like her i wouldn't mind her winning i guess um against michelle i think michelle yo is going to win this for sure like i say mich uh i'm sorry yeah michelle I'm confusing. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh is going to win. Michelle Williams. Uh, I feel like once I see the other movies, it's going to be maybe either a Dark Horse or uh, what's the third one? I can't remember. Long Shot. Long, or a Long Shot. Um, I think the only thing is like Michelle Yeoh for me personally, I never like something never really clicked for me with her performance and everything, everything everywhere all at once. Mm. Um, so I'm like kind of biased against her, but like She's had like such a big run so far that I think like it'd be I'd be very surprised to not see her win this. I'm going to be honest. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way: uh, because you haven't seen Tar yet, I think you should reserve that judgment until you see Tar. Because uh, Kate Blanchett is an absolute powerhouse in that. It, it is probably Blanchett and, and Yo's. They're the only two that stand a chance. And mm-hmm. I put uh, Michelle Williams firmly in the uh, long shot category because there is no dark horse. Uh, for me, it is those two front runners, um, and then Anna de Armas and um, what's her name, um, Andrea Riseborough, uh, are, are just happy to be there. Especially Andrea Riseborough should be very happy to be there. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know. Andrea Riseborough was in a small movie with a giant heart, and like that. That's that doesn't mean nothing, right? Jeff, are you a personal friend of Andrea Riseborough's? Because those are people, uh, words that uh, her personal friends have been saying. I think my, uh, I think my personal review of Two Leslie would not allow me to be friends with Andrea Riseborough. <laughs> All right. Uh, before you get into any trouble with uh, the Riseboro campaign, let's move on. We've got Best Supporting Actor, and uh, Pierre has already alluded to the length of his performance, where he is barely on screen. I think it is a, a total of four or five minutes. He shows up, gives a very impassioned monologue to uh, Gabriel LaBelle's Sammy Fableman character, and then he's gone. He shows up, he does what he needs to do, and he's gone. And, and it's sort of this... This is a very interesting nomination since Paul Dano didn't get nominated when a lot of people were really pegging him to be the best supporting actor with Judd Hirsch being, you know, uh, maybe riding the coattails behind it and it being four nominations for two films between Banshees and the Fablemans. But that didn't end up happening. So we've got Judd Hirsch here, legendary actor. Been in a lot of stuff, never really uh, high profile in, in the way of this. And I think you know, people would probably be a little bit surprised. At least I was because, you know, his scene was moving. It was, it was impactful. But afterwards I, I watched, I was like, and this ended up getting nominated for best supporting actor. Interesting. Okay. Like it's not bad or anything, but like interesting because it's not the first time that a movie 
with a very small short performance has been nominated. It does seem to happen, you know, every two to three years and every once in a while it wins, you know, James Duty, James, Dame Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love comes up as an example who shows up at the very end of the movie and wins an Oscar. Um, but yeah, he's got no shot here. He is a, an absolute long shot for me and, and bordering on just happy to be there if it wasn't for the fact that Brian Tyree Henry is the one who's going to be just happy to be there. Uh, for me, I would say that he's at the bottom with Barry Keegan. Uh, Barry Keegan's very good. I like him being there. Uh, I think that it's a little strange that two people from Banshees got nominated in this category. So that's why I think that like Barry Keegan is the just happy to be there. Brian Tyree Henry is very, very, very good in mm-hmm. Causeway. And so him being the reason that Causeway breaks into this list of nominees makes sense for me. Um, but yeah, Judd Hirsch, just happy to be there. I think his scene was good. I think it is really strange, especially after rewatching this movie, that Paul Dano isn't here because Paul Dano is so good in this movie and Judd Hirsch is also good, but he's in it for one scene. Paul Dano is very good and he's in it for the whole movie. So it is it is a little strange for me that he's the one that's nominated. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree. I was... Um... I mean, I'm not mad that Judd Hirsch is here. Like, I was like, oh, that's like, yeah, he was pretty good, I guess, in his role. <laughs> like, it was more of a an afterthought, I guess. I think, like, honestly, his role was just very confusing to me, too. Like, I don't really under... I kind of get why he was in the movie, but I didn't really feel like his scene actually added to the movie that much. Um, So, yeah, I, I Paul Dano was definitely better. I, I might be biased, I... I told Jeff that I was I was interested to see Paul Dano in like a role where he wasn't acting like insane <laughs> or something. So <laughs> it was like it was actually really cool to see him uh, like that, and uh, I thought he was great in that role. But yeah, Judd Hirsch, I think I think even he's just like, oh wow, I, like it's kind of cool that I'm nominated. I guess um, like he he doesn't stand a he doesn't stand a chance in this, so he's just happy to be there. Yeah, it, it continues the Paul Dano erasure at the Oscars uh, that has gone uh, way back since There Will Be Blood. Um, I don't know how this man does not have at least three Oscar nominations at this point, but for some reason, uh, he pissed off too many Academy members, I guess. I guess. I mean, his roles are very uh, scary. No creepy sometimes, so. Maybe that's why. He's, he's also done stuff like Lil Miss Sunshine and Love and Mercy <laughs> where uh, he is is not those type of things. Well, he has done stuff like 12 Years a Slave and, and There Will Be Blood where he's very over-exaggerated and terrifying at times. Uh, he, he's able to do a little bit of everything. So something I appreciate. No, oh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's an amazing actor. I want to see more of his stuff. All right, let's move on to Best Original Screenplay. And, uh, and Jeff, it sounded like uh, you have some some thoughts on this one, so I'll let you sort of take the lead on this category. I, I think it's very... I think this is a very good screenplay. I think... Um, I think the strongest parts of it are in the first two-thirds, uh, but even near the end, this screenplay stays very good. I think... Uh, I guess this is the, I don't know how many collaborations this is between uh, Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner, 
Um, I know they've done. Oh, they did Lincoln. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, this is. Um, it's it's very good. I think Tony. I don't think Tony Kushner has an award yet. Does he? I will pull that up while uh, you keep talking about the screenplay. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess all I have to say about the screenplay is I think it's really good. Uh, the what really stood out to me about this screenplay is how much is in the subtext. Like Michelle Williams and Steven Spielberg, and I guess this comes across when he's sh- sort of directing Gabriel LaBelle to pretend to be a director. He's very good at getting pretty amazing performances out of actors who, frankly, are already good, but who you wouldn't expect that from. And I think that uh, the biggest scene to me, or the, the best part of this movie to me, is there's a camping scene with the whole family. So you got, you know, you got Julia Butters, you got Gabriel LaBelle, Paul Dano, Michelle Williams, and Seth Rogen is there for some reason, some nefarious reason. <laughs> and um, the and and that's where the Michelle Williams Seth Rogen romance really starts starts to sort of come into the limelight or not limelight, but sort of starts to come into the forefront of this movie. And I think what's really nice about this screenplay is that it's, you know, it's always there. You never question it, but it's also like pretty subtle. It's never Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams character is she, she has, she has bouts, you know, she has fits and stuff, but like, the whole movie, um, all of the stuff that happens in the background of this movie happens sort of naturally. And all of these characters feel like they have a completely different relationship to Sammy Fableman than they do to the rest of the world. And yet that still always works. Uh, and I think that, um, I think that this movie is a very, very good screenplay and because it's able to communicate that really well without ever taking away from either of those stories. Um, so I, I like this screenplay for Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner. I still don't, I think, I mean, I guess I said with Banshees of Inisherin, I think it's a co-front runner. Um, I don't think it would be my personal favorite, but I do think it's really, really good. And I think it's one that is, uh, pretty likely to take an award this time. I think my personal favorite would probably be either everything everywhere all at once or tar for this mm-hmm. one. Okay. Uh, and then to answer your point, Tony Kushner has four Oscar nominations. He's got two this year for being a producer on the Fablemans and then his screenplay. He's also been nominated for Lincoln and for Munich. So all of them are based on collaborations with Steven Spielberg. Cool. I'm really oh. glad he didn't win for Lincoln. <laughs> so that's this is a uh, movie i've been sort of dying to rewatch because i remember enjoying it when it came out but i haven't really thought a ton about it other than daniel day lewis's performance and, and sort of need to revisit it that's what i haven't i haven't seen lincoln since it came out either but yeah it when really it came out to me when I saw it, when it came out, it might have been the movie that I hated the most of all the movies I've ever seen. <laughs> really? Okay, so this is your three billboards. All right. Um, I I personally didn't love the the Fableman's screenplay. Like, I think it's really good. Um, 
I don't think it really holds a candle to at least everything everywhere all at once and uh, Banshees. Like, there's there's just some parts. It's like I think you could have trimmed down the screenplay. Um, I think parts of it don't really add up to me, and like parts of it that I feel like uh, there's parts of it where I feel like he could have focused on more. If that makes sense, like um, like we don't really get a great sense of his relationship. Uh, Sammy's relationship with his like sisters um, or even like his like I think it, it might have hit more if we had a better sense of his relationship with uh, with Uncle Benny um, and then also like I don't know like the, the some of the dialogue is like kind of corny um, and there's not uh, I don't know I, I, I guess it's impressive in that like I don't think there's it's it's not a very structured movie but I think like it's impressive how he, he he keeps this screenplay pretty tight, considering how loose it is. But, or sorry, they they I guess because two people wrote it. But um, yeah, it 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 didn't really feel like a flawless screenplay to me in the way that like Banshees, uh, I think you could argue is. So I'd, I'd say this is more of a happy to be here mm, situation. I uh, I have it as a long shot uh, because I think it's either going to everything everywhere or if they do the Pulp Fiction style thing, um, Tar or Triangle of Sadness will be the ones to most likely swoop in there. And so this is uh, too far down in the pack to really make much of a dent. Uh, I want to keep things moving, so I'm going to move on to Best Original Score and John Williams. We talked about it in this category kind of in depth in Banshees of Inishirin. Uh I think he's a dark horse because of name recognition alone. I do not think this is the best score. Um, in fact, I think it's probably one of the weaker ones in the category, but the John Williams factor is very, very strong, especially the narrative of him uh, retiring, collaborating with Steven Spielberg and retiring in general soon. So this has to kind of play for something that the Academy might look at and be like, this might be the last time we can honor this man. Uh, so we do it here. I don't know if that's actually going to carry him to a victory, but I could see him being a dark horse. What about you, uh, Pierre? Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I guess I kind of uh, explained my feelings about it before. I think he's, uh, I, I'd say he's a dark horse too. I, I, I literally can't remember anything from the score of the Fablemans, and I saw it like two days ago. So, um, yeah, but the the narrative is extremely strong, and I would not be mad nor surprised if he did win. Uh, so I had him. I this is the only one that I put two different uh, cate- categories. I don't know if that's the right word on my sheet here. I said just happy to be be there or long shot because I think he's got a really strong narrative which could make him a long shot. I definitely don't think he's a front runner, but if the strong narrative isn't enough to like make him a long shot, then of course he's going to be nominated because he's John Williams doing a Steven Spielberg movie. So like, you know, at the very least he's, he, he was always going to be there and maybe that's as far as he gets. So I think, so that's, that's why I wrote that as two different ones. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Uh, And then the last nomination is best production design. And this is a, this is a category with some really heavy weights in terms of the, the very interesting visual sets and landscapes that they have. 
I uh, I got to put the Fablemans is just happy to be there. It's, you know, it's a nice period piece. It's pleasant to look at, but it doesn't exactly break new ground with what this era was. Damn, they got a high school. Uh, Jimmy Cameron <laughs> put us on an entirely alien planet. So I don't know, man. I think production design might not go to Fablemans. Yeah, I I'd agree. I I don't see. I'm I'm really I'm kind of surprised this is nominated. Um, it's like nothing about it really stuck out to me in any way. Um, so yeah, I, this doesn't stand. This doesn't. I mean, because even if we're looking at from a period piece side, like Elvis, you got Elvis and wait, Babylon's a period piece, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like, it, it there's no way. I. I think Elvis is fairly weak in this category of these, like of, of these nominees. And I would still put the Fablemans at number five. So, yeah. I mean, I don't even know how you, how do you define, like, how do you define Avatar's production design? It's all VFX, right? I mean, like, a, I think a lot of it is just New Zealand, like very remote parts of New Zealand. I guess. I mean, yeah, like, could, if I was to look at this objectively, I'd say Avatar like 100% should win. Um, but I also don't really understand. Like, I, I need to look into this, uh, how they judge this more because I'm, I was surprised Avatar was nominated because I had, I didn't think it, it would uh, qualify. But yeah. You're, uh, I'm of the same opinion as you there, Pierre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. I thought it was just me. That's good to know. No. <laughs> All right. So wrapping up um, the Fablemans, I uh, I have it as as one win potentially for Steven Spielberg as directing. But that said, I can also see this walking away with nothing. Yeah, I, I'd agree. This feels like a movie that I would say it's like Spielberg does tie it together very well through like I think just his the purity of like the story, like it's, it's very heartfelt to him and you can feel that. Or maybe I just feel that because I know it's about him. So I might be like very biased, but it doesn't really do anything like exceedingly well, if that makes sense. It's just, it's all around a very like well-made movie. Um, But it's not shooting for the stars in, in any of these categories, in my opinion. Jeff? I'm going to be very excited to see Steven Spielberg walk on stage to accept his directing Oscar and go, wow, wow, who could have expected this? I never <laughs> expected that this would happen. <laughs> and that's going to make me very upset. And then I'm going to go to bed angry that night. So I don't know. I can see like, I, I can see the one. I It's one where like, I don't think it's necessarily gotten no chance in any of these categories. Uh, I can definitely see it walking away with nothing. Um, I could see it getting. I could see it getting one, but I'm. I'm not even super confident that it's Spielberg's to, to win here. Or I don't know if that's the right way of saying that. But like, I don't know if it's. I don't know if he gets it for this one. I kind of hope he doesn't because I don't think he's anywhere near the strongest in that category. But that's probably its best shot. Okay, fair enough. Let's move on to our last film. So tonight, but don't you let go of my hand. You can cry every last I won't leave till I'm 
Top Gun Maverick. This movie has six nominations, including Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, written by Aaron Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie, Best Original Song for Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Visual Effects. Now, this is probably one of maybe uh, one or two movies we actually haven't mentioned by name yet this episode. So all of this is pretty fresh. Um, Best Picture, you know, you were saying before we start recording that you were very surprised that uh, Top Gun Maverick made it into Best Picture there, Jeff. Uh, Are you a happy surprise or a sad surprise? I don't know. I think that's fine. Like, I've been hearing about this movie for like 400 years, so I don't... (laughs) I don't hate that, you know, that's all paid off with an Oscar nomination, but this is the first, is this the first year that they've been guaranteed 10 or is this the second year? Um, I cannot remember. I, I, I think this might be the first year, but I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. So, so like, I'm just going to like uh, say right now, this is number 10. This is, this is, you know, very happy to be there because they needed a 10th and this is the one. Really, you you think that this movie is behind uh, perhaps something like Women Talking, which really seemed to be on the edge of of it? And yeah, I don't know. Look, I really liked Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, but I liked I liked I liked Women Talking a lot more. So, like, I think Women Talking is if we're talking about Oscar bait too. I think Women Talking is a more baity movie than Top Gun Maverick because Top Gun Maverick is all just like it's it's just military propaganda big blockbuster stuff like it's not bad I enjoyed it a lot but like it does not seem like best picture material the way they would normally do it and women talking I'm a little surprised that women talking got a best picture nomination I'm not surprised that women talking is represented at the Oscars like that's one that I would definitely have expected to be in some categories where Top Gun Maverick was a total surprise outside of sound, I guess. Okay. Uh, Pierre, do you feel this strongly about its nomination? Oh, I, I personally love it. I think um, this, this year is like a good year for showing that the Academy doesn't, I mean, hopefully it, it stands in the future, but like, I think this movie is a good example of a very well made blockbuster movie. Um, and, and like it obviously had a very big effect uh, on the movie going experience, if that makes sense. And I, I really hope that blockbusters kind of return to this or kind of go to this kind of movie as like an inspiration in the future, just because of like, like it focuses on the experience. Right. And I think that in itself, even though like, obviously like the script and the acting and other things like aren't as strong as some of these other, as competition and best picture. Um, I still think it deserves like it, it's a very, very well-made movie. And I think the Oscars should look at like blockbusters more in terms of seeing uh, how well they're made for what they are. If that makes sense. Um, I know they've done like kind of like, I feel like black Panther was kind of like a more of a, like, Oh, like we appreciate this as the first, uh, all all black uh, starring cast, so like that that's why it was put there. But I wouldn't say it was like truly a quality movie. Um, I say Top Gun like deserves to be here, and um, obviously it's not a front runner or anything. But uh, I think it'd be I think it's like in the middle of the pack here personally. I I think its nomination is very well deserved. I really love this movie, but I think it's in the long shot category as well. 
uh, probably in the um, seven to nine range uh, as far as odds to win it. Um, so yeah, it's it's a movie that is excellent. And I'm, I'm happy it's here, but yeah, it's it's not winning best picture. All right, moving on, we've got best adapted screenplay. Um, yeah, this I don't know how its screenplay got nominated. <laughs> I I've just finished saying how much I love this movie. It's going to make my top ten of the year. Um, it's not because of the screenplay. Uh, I mean, for what it's worth, I'd put it at number four. But like, yeah, I don't see it. I don't. I don't understand this either. I I think people were like, "There's no way Top Gun Maverick's gained best adapted screenplay." Oh, it's in best adapted screenplay. How th- how is that possible? There's almost no dialogue. This is all action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I, I I feel like I didn't know if it was was it like uh was it in like the running pretty decently before the nominations were out like was it favored i don't think so i think this is a huge overperformance by it getting here which maybe means we're underrating it for best picture a little bit but like oh boy um, there is not much of this script i know like like for me i was just like i i never i never it never even crossed my mind like i never thought about the screenplay of this movie like the whole point of the movie is to distract you from the screenplay so like (laughs) It's quite interesting that it was nominated. I, I think it's probably like, like it's extremely corny. It's like if, if this if this screenplay was nominated, like how have like some of the like there's so many movies in the past that were like big blockbusters that had much better screenplays than this. I guess you could say it's a very efficient screenplay. Um, you know what? That is a good way of putting it. It is efficient. Like, yeah, like it does its job very well. I wouldn't. I would never like like think about it though so i i don't know it's i i think uh all these guys all all the guys that got nominated are just laughing right now because they're gonna get get to charge more for their next movie uh, (laughs) writing for having not done that too much but um yeah i don't i i honestly just that it's nominated i could see it winning just because like i don't know what the hell they were thinking in this category so I, i i honestly have no idea where to place this Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm in the the just happy to be there. Um, I think we're all in agreement there, right? Yeah. Officially, I had it listed as just happy to be there. So. Okay. All right. Now, the moment everyone has been waiting for. You know, you invite the classic movies live guys onto your show for the Oscars. You're talking about the nominations. You're having a good time. You maybe you're learning a little bit here. That's not why you're really listening to this episode. You're listening to this episode because right now we're going to talk about best original song. Lady Gaga and Blood Pop for Hold My Hand. You're now going to hear a little sample of that song. (laughs) You're going to enjoy this song. You know, it's a nice little ballad. And then you think, what is so special about this category? What is special? I don't know. Pierre, do you think this category is special? Actually, Pierre, I don't want to ask you this right now. Jeff, (laughs) do you think this category is special? Look, like... Hold My Hand isn't even the good song from Top Gun. Like, there's there's a song in Top Gun that happens during the volleyball scene. And, like, why are you even watching Top Gun if you're not watching it for the volleyball scene, right? So, like, in the volleyball scene, that's the good song. So that's the song that's, like, somehow kind of important to the plot of Top Gun. Not really important. It's just important to the volleyball scene. But, like, as we all know, every Top Gun movie is, like, 
uh, is sort of like a coming out story for Tom Cruise. And, you know, that's that's why you watch Top Gun. And that's why you listen to the songs in Top Gun. Playing with the boys is a great song about like hanging out with your best male friends if you're Tom Cruise, right? So like, that's 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 great. Uh, it's weird that Hold My Hand, which comes at the very end as a plane is like leaving the le- leaving into the sky to, I don't know, bring us into the credits, is the one that gets nominated. It's like, I don't know. I think Lady Gaga was more involved with the score, so Hold My Hand, like it had it incorporates it incorporates things in the song that are la- that are throughout the score, but I don't know. It's it's a good credit song, but it's just not it's just it's just not it, right? Like once again, I don't love this category. I think there's there's one song that I think is a very, very good contender, easily a front runner. And there's a couple of other songs in here that are like fine. I think this is an interesting year where none of the songs have been exclusively credit songs, but three of them are credit songs. And like, I've sort of come around. I know people listen to this, people listen to this to hear me rant about how I don't like credit songs. And like, I've come around on that a little bit. I don't hate the idea that a song can be in the credits, but like, I think, um, I think it should still add to the movie. And so, you know, my easily the best song of the year isn't even in this category. So I'm like, why should I even care? But (laughs) the reason I should even care is because not to not to is the second best song of the year. So like, that's, that's the one hold my hand is, fine i guess it's a good song i don't know why it matters in this context honestly that was a a fairly tame rant by you um so yeah okay i I don't have the energy to be bitter (laughs) (laughs) uh i i appreciate uh you breaking down this category pierre I will. I will now be respectful towards you. What are your thoughts oh, on this? So category? Good. I, I don't <laughs> care about it. <laughs> like, I don't really put much thought towards it. I think. I think "Lift Me Up" was actually a really good song, and it worked really, really well with uh, Black Panther. And actually, I guess it, it scored that moment really well too. Um, but yeah, I I cannot remember the Lady Gaga song. I was thinking about like I, I guess I could have listened to it on Spotify, but I I don't. I, I, I like I feel like it has to like stick out to me when I watch the movie or else I'm just listening to a song that's disconnected from the movie and um like I don't think this I, I, I can't remember the song and I don't think it really had any effect on me when I watched the movie so um I you could say Top Gun Maverick had a great soundtrack like they picked some great songs for the movie um, yes but uh yeah I don't I don't really care about like I, I maybe it is a front runner I have no idea uh I, I guess because it's Lady Gaga, I'll put it as a dark horse, but I think Brianna's going to win this category. I've watched Top Gun Maverick twice now, and both times after I finished the movie, I completely forgot what the song sounded like. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, I feel like Lady Gaga is such a weird choice for a, a Top Gun movie, too. Like, you'd think they'd pick, like, like a very, like, a, an artist that would appeal to, like, 40-year-old people or something, like, 40-year-old men. Um, like, I don't know. 
<laughs> As of, now I'm imagining Nickelback being on the top. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't know. I like I I feel like people were talking about the movie during the end credits, and like the the song was not of concern to people because the movie was too good. Maybe I don't know, or it was just a boring song. Who knows? Uh. If I can very briefly talk about best original song, just because it's the only chance I'm going to get to talk about it. The best song that should have been nominated is a song called New Body Roomba from (laughs) uh, White Noise. And I won't talk too much about White Noise, but the, the book of white noise the i the the story the original story is such a weird postmodernist uh story that like i don't know how you would even attempt to adapt that into a movie and frankly the movie doesn't do it well but the last the credits of that movie which are a music video for new body roomba by lcd sound system adapt the themes and ideas of white noise so well that I think that like if what that white noise should have been nominated for best original song. And frankly, like that scene is better than most of the original screenplays that are nominated. So like, I don't know how that one didn't get nominated because that is easily the best song of the year in a movie. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to see LCD Sound System performing at the Oscars because I love them and it's great. Um, my my thoughts on this category is I think it's a dark horse because of the Lady Gaga factor, but uh, but I think Not Too Not Too is probably the front runner for this one. Maybe uh, Rihanna for for Lift Me Up as well. Um, but yeah, I I don't have hopes of this one winning, and maybe that's because I found it so forgettable. All right, moving on to the. (laughs) All right, moving on to the next category, we've got best sound, and I would say this is probably Top Gun's best chance at winning an Oscar uh, because the Jets sounded a plus in this movie, and so I am uh, I'm putting this as the solid front runner for this because Jets go vroom. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. Exact everything you just said. (laughs) I think it's loud. And it features loud engines and sound people like loud engines, I think. And there's some bang bang going on as well. They like that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I feel so bad for the sound category. I feel like like it used to be two categories, right? And I feel like sound is probably like one of the hardest things to do in a movie. Um very well. Um, but it's really hard for people to like care about, if that makes sense. Like the when you have the best sound, when you have best sound, it's when people don't notice the sound, if that makes sense. Like that's, that's perfect. It's almost like best editing in that regard too. Kind of. Yeah. Except at least I feel like with editing, you can kind of attribute it to like pacing and stuff, which is like a little easier to see, like whether you're bored or not. Yeah. I feel like best sound is more like, can I hear everything properly? (laughs) Um, Can I hear the dialogue and the music at the same time? Yeah. (laughs) That's usually, you know, that's like what you expect from a movie. So uh i i think yeah just like i think because of like the misunderstanding of the category and like i think top gun maverick is just like a very good generic like answer like it's it's it, it's i mean sorry i shouldn't say generic because I, I think the sound is very very well done um i think a big part of what makes a movie work is is that you really feel part like it feels like you're flying almost you're part of that experience and the sound was a very big component to that like i remember like gripping my seat when some of those jet sequences would start, I think like the sound was great. 
um, especially compared to the competition. Like, I, I can't. I think Avatar was pretty well done. I think that I don't know why the Batman's there. Like, like there there wasn't really any moments to me that really stuck out to me. And then like Elvis, I think it's like another editing thing where it's like there was just so much sound in that movie that I can't believe they like mixed it properly. Um, so you know, and I think some of the the music sequences were kind of well done, but. Uh, yeah, I think Top Gun Maverick's kind of a shoe in here. It's a front runner for sure. Uh, I, I would I would sort of contend that uh, this category is actually fairly strong, considering both best best sound and best visual effects normally have like a couple shit movies thrown in there. And this <laughs> year, like they're they're actually pretty solid. Like there's no there's no real steal this year. I don't know if anyone remembers that Hugh Jackman robot fighting movie. I do, yeah. God awful. Thank God that they're, you know, <laughs> while I wasn't a huge fan of Avatar, it has its merits and I can appreciate them. Like, it, at least there's nothing like that in either of these categories this year. Yeah, I, I'd say like all, all these movies are, are pretty well done for sure. Yeah. All right. Moving on. We've got best film editing. Um, this is uh, is one maybe I'm a bit higher on than than Jeff based on, on what he was saying, but I think this might be a little bit of a dark horse and and i don't i don't know maybe this is just my gut that's saying this but like i look at the category and i'm like everything everywhere i think is is my front runner and then after that you know they made the actors film themselves in the jet planes by themselves and they managed to edit together a cohesive movie where it doesn't look like there's any bad acting while also maintaining um the realness of the situations going on. And for that, I really have to appreciate what they did. And for that, I have it as a bit of a dark horse. And, you know, that said, if it maybe sweeps all the technical categories, this is one that it could potentially pick up as well. For sure. I'd say the, like, I, I, I guess like kind of the story behind it is like, like you said, like filming in real jets, I think it would have been really hard to piece that footage together in a coherent way. Cause I don't, I don't know if they were able to get, cause I, I guess renting jets is like extremely expensive. So they probably had to work with a lot of footage that might not have made sense. Um, but they edited it in a way that it did make sense. So yeah, I, I think those jet sequences are really well done, have to be really well edited. And, uh, like, especially that last, I guess the last sequence with the, the trench run and stuff felt very star Wars esque. Um, yep. and that was like, also, I don't know. I, I don't want to say like the cinema. I guess you could say like the cinematography there was really good, but like I think the editing is what made that scene work as well as it did and feel very tight. So yeah. So I also wrote it down as a dark horse, and I said this before on the episode already. I think this is just a really a really well edited movie. Like mm. I I'm not I'm still not entirely sure what I think is my. Uh, I, I don't personally know what I think is my number one front runner here. I think earlier I said Tar, and like Tar is probably my pick for this. But um, it's it's a very well edited movie. It's really solid, and like I don't know. I I don't think there's a weak movie in this category. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think well, other than my thoughts on Elvis, which I will save for another episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I mostly agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I'd I'd say this is a probably a dark horse. I want to say. 
Yeah, All right. I don't know. Elvis is the best. Is is the boldest movie nominated for sure. <laughs> oh, God. Bold is uh, is one way to describe it. Maybe not the best, but boldest for sure. Sure. Okay, I'll give you that. There. Brave. Um, let's go to the last category, and that is best visual effects. As I already alluded to, the best sound. This category is actually pretty decent overall this year. I'm uh, I'm I'm quite happy with with the way it looks. It's All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, uh, and then the one uh, confusing nomination, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, which, you know, despite <laughs> me loving the first Black Panther, um, neither movie has very good uh, CGI uh, visual effects. In fact, I would categorize them both as pretty god-awful. Um, <laughs> so I'm confused how, once again, this movie is nominated, but I guess they need to reserve a slot every year for one Marvel movie. And uh, this year it's Black Panther. Uh, um, that all said, Top Gun Maverick, visual effects. This is interesting because I would say, along with All Quiet on the Western Front, the two movies try to do as much as possible in-camera practical effects. Are we discounting or does the industry discount the um, the technical prowess needed to do practical effects? And is it different than CGI effects? Is there Should there be two different categories? And, and as someone that also sort of works in the film industry as well, one thing I've noticed is the desire to blend the two to make something look the best possible. I watch practical effects happen and then it is augmented and bettered by CGI effects. And I think that's something that happened with Top Gun Maverick. All the flying stuff is real. And then the explosions are mostly CGI, but they look real enough in camera. Does that mean this movie stand a chance? Am I going on a weird tangent that means nothing? I don't know. Jeff? Oh gosh, I didn't realize I was going to talk first here. Uh, I think I think this is Avatar and All Quiet's question, uh, not question, category to lose. Um, but I think Top Gun Maverick's really good here. I think that uh, I guess to answer your question, should practical effects and uh, CGI be split? I do not think so. Um, but I think that uh, looking at these. I actually, despite what it may look like at first, I think this actually does show that the Academy does respect practical effects quite a bit mm-hmm. because All Quiet and Top Gun Maverick specifically were much more practical effects than CGI. Although, as you said, there's augmented, uh, they're, they're augmented with CGI for sure. And I think that uh, the visual effects branch definitely respects that because as I'm looking through this, Avatar is probably the one with the with the the one that tilts the balance towards uh, towards CGI the most, and even that probably isn't a hundred percent CGI. Like there is some practical effects in Avatar, very little that you would recognize, but it's there. Um, but I think. Uh, oh gosh, I got sidetracked. I'm not entirely sure what I was saying, but. Uh, Top Gun Maverick here, I think, is a it, it's very much a big contender. Uh, for what it's worth, I think this is Avatar. Avatars to lose if they decide to go with CGI. All Quiet's to lose if they decide to go with more practical. But Top Gun could be a very strong third, but behind both of those. Pierre, um, I, I'd say that. Like the kind of divide here, uh, like I, I, for me, it's just like 
doesn't really matter if it's a CGI or practical. It's just like, is, is what you're showing me convincing me of this story actually happening? Um, and I think I, I haven't seen the, was it all, all quiet on the Western front or whatever it's called. I need to see that because it, it sounds like the effects in that are quite good. Um, I think it's cool that like, I think Avatar and Top Gun are kind of like sheer opposites in terms of like the ways the industry can go. But I think they both like really summarize like the, the peak of each, like the practical effects or, or a CGI. Um, I think it's, it's honestly a fight between those two because I think they, they took their respective uh, disciplines, I guess, and like heightened them to the best of their abilities. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think it's either a front runner or a dark horse, um, but the way it's going, like it's, it's really hard to tell with, with avatar there because it's such a beast and, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think Jeff, you really nailed it in the head there as far as what its odds are and, and the, the path it would need to take. And I agree. I think it is a very, very strong third, um, as far as if you were to rank them for odds to win, but probably won't be the number two on most people's ballots, depending on which way they go. Uh, and, and so it, it really makes this category a little bit interesting to watch where I think Avatar is going to win it. But, you know, if the Academy is like, you know, what, we actually don't like Avatar that much. Uh, we listened to Dakota and he said the movie was boring. Um, we're going to give it to Top Gun. And I could see, I could see that sort of being the path that it takes in in winning it. But uh, it is a very strong dark horse, but not quite a front runner. All right, so that sort of wraps up Top Gun Maverick, and I basically have it as one win uh, for best sound. Uh, I, I don't really know how else it can win. I don't know if it's going to win for song. I don't know if it's going to win for visual effects or editing or anything like that. Could I see it getting more? Yeah, but you know, I always feel comfortable saying one win is sort of both its uh, floor and ceiling. I could see it as two if it takes song because I do think it will get sound. Yeah, interesting. Okay. What about uh, what about you, Pierre? Yeah, oddly enough, I think like this is has the best chance of definitely winning at least one Oscar <laughs> of the three movies we talked about today. Yeah, yeah sure. I think so. That's pretty funny. Okay, cool. I, I think that was a great discussion. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, where can people follow you and what are you guys working on? Uh, so people can mostly look at us on Spotify. We've uh, we're over at classic movies live um, we're, we're working on trying to get onto other platforms. Um, we're having a bit of, a bit of trouble with that, but we're, we're working on it. Uh, let's see. Our last episode that we did was on January horror. We reviewed Megan and infinity pool and our next episode, which probably comes out the day after this episode is the Fablemans. So if you thought that we talked about the Fablemans a little bit, but, uh, not enough you can check us out when we talk about the fablemans at length uh tomorrow or you know r- right away if you're listening to this not on the day that it came out awesome cool well i'll uh, i'll have to make sure to uh, to share that when that comes out and eagerly anticipate listening to uh more of your thoughts on that film um but yeah thank you both so much i really appreciate you taking the time and and talking with me today guys As always, thank you for having us on.
What Jeff said. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to plug that we now have stickers from our greatest films of all time episode, something that both Jeff and Pierre voted on. Uh, if you want one for free, leave us a review on your platform of choice and send a screenshot to any of our socials. This has been a That Shelf podcast. Visit thatshelf.com for more great film discourse. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. Uh, how do you think Top Gun, The Fablemans, and The Banshees of Anna Sheerans will do at the Oscars? Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, we do post all episodes there as well. And if you really like the show, consider tipping us on coffee. Thanks for checking us out.